as we begin today. That was great. Alright. Let's begin today. Um, many people have different views of life after death. In fact, we're told in some stats that 8 out of 10 Americans believe that there is some sort of life after death. To what that means and looks like, there are differing views on that. Um, there's only about 1 out of 10 people in America that believe there is nothing after death, that there's just nothing, that you, you just go be nothing. Um, in the scripture text that we're going to look at today, the topic of life after death comes up, and specifically the topic of resurrection takes center stage. And so the topic of resurrection, especially the resurrection of the body as well, is very much of, of universal uh, and deep importance um, to all and especially to us as believers. And as we talk about it, it definitely defies reasoning ability. Um, we, we need the mind of God. We need the mind of Christ as we think about this. Uh, but at the same time, it, it causes us, I pray, to stand in awe at the great power of God. As we read this text this morning, that's, that's my hope, that's my prayer, that we recognize, just as Jesus proclaims here, that God is not the God of the dead. But he is God of the living. And that we would behold him of that. Before we get to the text, I want to read to you something the Apostle Paul um, said that really marked his heart, his desire, his, his life. And, and he said this in Philippians chapter 3. And, and I want to just want you to just hear this. I don't have it on the screen. Sorry, guys, that have the slide. I'm kind of throwing you guys a fast one here. But here's what he says. Paul says, whatever things were gained to me in this world, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Jesus Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus. Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. And here's what he says. I want you to listen to this. He says, that I may know him, Jesus, and the power of his resurrection. That, that was Paul's heart. And the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul wanted to know the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was a big deal to him. And so this morning, as, as we look at this encounter that Jesus has with these religious people, these religious leaders, I pray that our heart is to know the power of the resurrection. Because Jesus is going to talk about it. He's going to talk about the resurrection. And then we're going to look at what that means for us now, but really forever as well, because there's some great truth. And so I pray like Paul that we want to know the power of the resurrection of our Savior. What does that mean for us? And what's it going to mean for us in the future? And so as we look at this text today, I pray that's our heart, the heart of Paul. I want to know the resurrection the power of Jesus Christ. So let's look at Luke 20. Look at Luke first, uh, verse 27. kind of sets the scene. Um, 
we've kind of seen people just kind of coming up to Jesus, different groups, asking him questions, challenging him, debating with him. The whole goal is they want to seize him, they want to kill him, right? And so we are just hours, right? We're getting close to hours away from Jesus going to the cross where we're at here in Luke. And so it's Holy Week, and there's a group, it says in verse 27, that came to Jesus. Now there came to him some Sadducees who say there is no resurrection. Right? And so this is how we get set up this morning for what we're going to look at. There were four different religious groups or major groups in Jesus' day that Jesus would deal with uh, when it came to Judaism. Right? We know them. Okay? The first group that maybe is the most popular were the, were the Pharisees. Okay? Um, the second group, the Sadducees that, that we have right here. There was a third group. They were called the Essenes, and they were kind of like hermits. Okay? They would go down in the desert and spend all their time copying scrolls, and so uh, most likely copying the Dead Sea Scrolls that, that, that have been found, we, we know of. Uh, and so you have the Essenes. Then you have the Zealots. Okay? The Zealots were the political activists, and they would give Rome trouble. Okay? And so you have these four different groups. So you have the Sadducees. So who are they? Maybe we don't know a whole lot about them uh, as we maybe don't spend as much time around them as we do maybe the likes of the Pharisees. Uh, but they were unlike the Pharisees. They, they scorned human tradition, oral law, the things the Pharisees loved. They scorned it. Uh, they scorned legalism. Uh, they were also very wealthy. They were rationalists. They were compromisers. They were political opportunists. Uh, they were the chief priests, the high priests. Uh, were all uh, Sadducees who made up the majority of the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish legal body. That's who these guys were. They ran the temple concessions, the buying and selling uh, that took place in the temple and the money changing. So when Jesus comes in the temple uh, two weeks ago to uh, cleanse it, it is these who face the brunt of his wrath. And so they were not popular. Uh, they were not popular with the Jewish people because they were rich and they did not care to help people. And so that's why John the Baptist, if you remember, in Luke chapter 3, verse 7, he calls them something, right? He calls them, you brood of vipers, you deadly snakes, okay? Um, he probably said it like this, you know, just kind of, with a kind of a dark, vader type of voice. Um, they only held to what was taught in the Pentateuch, okay? The Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible that we find in the Old Testament, the book of Moses, the, the five books of the law. And that's what they held to. They viewed the rest of the Old Testament as mere commentary. And so this was different from the Pharisees. But what greatly set them apart from the Pharisees is that they did not believe in the supernatural. That they did not believe in the resurrection. They did not believe in angels. And so we see this come up in Acts 23 as a dissension between both the Pharisees and the Sadducees are going to rise up. And so they did not believe in the resurrection. And so that was a big theological view that was different from the Pharisees and other, others in Judaism. And so they weren't very popular, mainly because they were pro-Rome. Uh, they loved Rome because Rome made them wealthy. Rome allowed them to live this fat life. And so Jesus moving in on their territory, especially here in Jerusalem, and at this time, is a threat to them. A great threat to them. Theologically, okay, financially, Jesus 
going to mess things up for them. So we have these groups with great differences, all right? But they all have one in common. They oppose Jesus. So like the Pharisees and the Herodians from last week, the Sadducees come to Jesus, and they have a very much malicious attempt as they bring up this theological question that they have. Right? And so listen to what, Jesus, or what Luke says. They ask Jesus. In verse 28, they say, uh, it says that they question him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife, and he is childless, his brother should marry the wife and raise up children to his brother. So in verse 28 here, what are they doing? They're quoting Deuteronomy 25, verse 5. It's part of the Pentateuch. So they're going from their base camp, and they're like, hey, listen, this is what Moses says that we are to do. It was called the Leveret Marriage. In fact, the first four letters of that leveret is uh, um, lever, or first five is lever, all right? Lever. It's a Latin word that means a husband's brother. So it's this law uh, that God gave to Moses for uh, the community. And so he says, hey, listen, there's this law. So they're going to take this law, they're going to give an episode or, or a scenario. Okay. An example of what could happen. So look at verse 29. It says, Now there were seven brothers, and the first took a wife and died childless. And the second and the third married her. And in the same way, all seven died, leaving no children. Finally, the woman died also. In the resurrection, therefore, which one's wife will she be? For all seven had married her. So they bring this question up. Again, this is malicious attempt. They want to trap him. They want to trick him. And they're doing it theologically using this law, which was a provision to ensure that family lines were kept intact, that widows were cared for. It wasn't necessarily mandatory, but if you had a brother who was married and died without children, and you, his brother, were un unmarried at the time, you shared the same estate. And you wanted to keep the property in the family by passing it on to a son. And then you would do that. You would then, as the second or, or the, of the brother, go marry your brother's wife if your brother had died. And so really it was about heritage. If one refused, what would happen is contempt, humiliation would come upon you from the elders of the community. And we see this happening in, in Genesis uh, 38, there's one who's actually killed because of his actions and didn't uh, follow through with his law. His name was Onan. So he defies the law and denied to, to, to act upon. So he lost his life. So the Sadducees bring up this law. They bring up this scenario really to see what Jesus will say about marriage in the resurrection. What was this going to look like? And so look at his response in verse 34, 35, and 36. Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. For they cannot even die anymore. Because they are like angels and we are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. So I want us to pause there for a second. Jesus answers the Sadducees by addressing really uh, what we're going to call two dimensions that they seem to be out of touch with. Okay? 
And, and there's two of them. The second one we'll see when he gets down to verse 37. But the first one he's going to address here is the power of God. The Sadducees were out of touch with the supernatural, with the power of God. And so Jesus is going to address that. The second thing he's going to address is the word of God. And he's going to use their own uh, hanging out area in the Pentateuch to show them the scriptures. And how they both testify to the resurrection. And so look what he says in verse 34, 35, and 36 as we peer in a little deeper here about the power of God. Because Jesus wants us to know that God has the power. He has the power to change us. He has the power to change anyone. And we see his power even in his resurrection. We see it in the kingdom of God that is still to come as well. And so what does he say here? He says in verse 34, the sons of this age marry. What's the sons of this age? It's the sons of, of the time that we live in now, the time period we're in now. What happens? We marry. All right? The people in here that are married. Okay? Marriage takes place in this age. So he states a fact. But then he says as well that those who are considered worthy to attain to that age in the resurrection from the dead. What are they going to do? They're going to neither marry nor are they going to be given in marriage. So what's he talking about here? Um, those who are considered worthy pertaining to that age. What is that? that? That age that he's speaking of is the kingdom of God. See, the kingdom of God, we believe, is both present but yet still to come. Okay? And, and so what does that mean? Well, it helps us answer it by looking at this phrase that he says here. Those who are considered worthy to attain to the kingdom of God. And he even says in the next part, the resurrection from the dead. So he equates two things here. The age to come, the kingdom of God, the resurrection from the dead. All right, Those two things go together. Those who experience the resurrection of the dead aren't right, part of the kingdom of God. In fact, they're part of the kingdom of God now. And so who are they? Those who are worthy to attain to the kingdom of God. Of God. Scripture addresses this in a few different ways. In Romans chapter 3, Paul says none of us are good at all. Right? None of us have any understanding. We cannot understand the things of God. We cannot understand spiritual things without being born again. Without being spiritually raised up to have the mind of Christ. None of us in here are good enough. None of us are worthy to attain to the kingdom of God. So who are these people? Well, real simply this morning, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, for by grace, okay, what is grace? Grace is God's undeserved favor, his undeserved love, his undeserved kindness. For by God's grace, all right, through faith, you're saved. So, so what that means is, is there is a gift that God gives us by his love, by his kindness. It is the gift of faith. And those who believe by God's grace are saved. We're saved. We're given the free gift of eternal life. So who are those who are worthy to attain? Because none of us are worthy. And so who are worthy if none are worthy? The ones who are worthy are the ones who God saves. 
That's it. You see, God's doing the same. By His grace, He saves us. And He gives us the gift of faith to believe that His Son, Jesus, who He put on the cross, has died for us. And He died a death. He died a sacrificial death, a substitutionary death, in our place. And He took the penalty of that death on the cross, the wrath of God being poured out on Him so that we would not have to suffer that death and perish forever. But instead, we would become worthy to attain to the kingdom of God and experience the resurrection of the dead. And so it's those who are saved, those who are believers, that God has given this, this free gift of living in the age to come, being part of the age to come, and experiencing the resurrection of the dead. So why is Jesus sharing well, one, he's going to talk about the resurrection of the dead, but his whole idea is to show them the power of God, that God can change things. Because one thing he's going to change is going to say, hey, listen, in this age, marriage happens, weddings happen. But in the age to come, it's not going to happen. That there's going to be a change of relationships. That there's going to be a change that happens, right? Now, some, when we heard that, hear this, and we were talking about this at the 9 a.m. hour, which I love, is some hear this and we're like, wait, hold on, hold on a second. Alright? Because well, I got some questions like the Sadducees have as well. So so what does that mean? I'm not going to be married anymore in the kingdom of God. Seems like that's exactly what that means, right? Right? And we had one single lady in our group at 9 a.m. She goes, Woohoo! Yeah, I like that. And I'm like, alright, that's cool. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but okay, that's cool. Uh, but what this really means is that, hey, listen, those who, who attain to the kingdom of God, those who know Jesus Christ, that when we pass right from, from this age to the kingdom of God, we are with Christ. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that we as the church, we are his bride. And he is our bridegroom. And that when the kingdom of God has come, it is all about the birth. All about the birth. It is all about our relationship with God, our relationship with Jesus Christ. And it is not going to be just about the horizontal. I mean, there is going to be horizontal. There's going to be relationships. Are you going to know your, your bride that you have on earth? I, I believe that. I believe that without, without that. Yeah. But it is going to be about Jesus. The bride. That is what it's going to be about. We are going to be so fixed on Jesus Christ. We are now married to Him forever. And that is something that should get our heartbeat racing. Yes. Because that's what Paul was talking about. I want to know the power of the resurrection because I want to be united with Him forever. Talk about intimacy. Talk about relationship. Talk about worship. Talk about just beauty. I mean, it's going to blow us away beyond our reason. And so we see the power of God. But listen to what he says here as well. He says, for they cannot die anymore. Let that sit in. Because there is going to be a time when we attain to the kingdom of God, we will not be able to die anymore. Does that not just rattle you and be like, 
Yes, no more blood pressure pills, right? I mean, that's my story since 32. I'm like, dude, sweet. I mean, because there's a lot of things we do here in life just healthy to stay alive, and, you know, all those things are good and things like that. But, but there will be a time where we will not be able to die anymore. Wow. Wow. And he gives us some thoughts on that. He says, because they are like angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. Wow. They are like angels. He says those in the resurrection will be like angels. But what do we know about angels? There's a few things we can say, probably a lot of things we can say. We don't talk a lot about them, but we know one thing about them. They are deathless creatures. And so that's what Jesus is saying. They will not die anymore. They will be like angels, meaning this. We will be equally eternal, spiritual, and deathless, just like them. So what that means is this. God has the power to change us, and he will. Those who believe in him, who have attained to the kingdom of God, he will change them. They will be deathless. So God will do. And it says at the end of verse 36, being sons of the resurrection. Isn't that cool to think of? All in here who have faith in Jesus Christ, you are sons of the resurrection. And I used the term sons, and I didn't say sons and daughters, and I did that on purpose because some people would say, well, we're sons and daughters. No, you are sons, every single one of you. You know what that means? You're heirs. You want to be an heir. You are an heir. You will inherit the resurrection. That's awesome. Then look what he says. So he talks about the power of God. They were out of touch with that. But then look what he also talks about. Look at verse 37 and 38. He says, but that the dead are raised. Even Moses showed in the passage about the burning bush where he calls the Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So do you, you see what he's saying here? He, he, he says, hey, Moses even talked about the dead being raised. Moses talks about the resurrection? I mean, can you imagine these guys being like, hold on a second. I mean, this is, this is our, we major in these books. Moses talked about the resurrection? No way. And so Jesus says, now he's not the God of the dead, verse 38, but he's God of the living, for all live to him. So here's the big thing that Jesus does here. He talks about the power of God. Now he talks about the scriptures. And he shows them that they're even out of touch with what they major in, which is the Pentateuch. They're out of touch with Moses and what he says. Because in Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, the Lord was speaking to Moses and revealing himself to Moses and said this. God said to Moses, I am the God of your father. I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. And I am the God of Jacob. So he was telling Moses that. Now you might be saying, what in the world does that verse and what God said have anything to do with the resurrection? Well, what Jesus is saying is it had everything to do with the resurrection. <laughs> everything. He quotes Moses, and Moses says, or 
Yeah, quotes Moses, and Moses says that God says to him, I am. Now that term, I am, that he used in Exodus 3, is a present tense term, meaning, okay, it, it did not read, I was God of Abraham, I was God of Isaac, I was God of Jacob, but instead, I am presently God. And so what does that really mean? Well, think about this. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when God was speaking to Moses, what was their condition physically? Dead. Dead. So what God was saying is, I am God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who are fully alive. Physically, they not, may not be with us, but they are fully alive. Their souls are fully Alive. And what I love about this too is he singles them out individually by name. Because what this also means is not only they're fully alive, but I fully know them still. And I have an intimate relationship with them still. I was God of them while they were here walking on this earth, and I am still God of them as they are simply in their soul, and their body lies in the tomb. I am still God. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I know them intimately, even more intimately. And so that's Jesus' point. And so what that means is is that all that God promised to them, that they would inherit, all that the eternal God, of, all the covenants that he talked about, his blessings, they're legit. And so, so think about this. In Psalm 16, verse 10 through 11, when David said, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, which is the place of death, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. David believed that. That, that he would live forever and experience the intimacy with God Forever. He said in Psalm 17, 15, As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. And what he was saying was, when, when I leave this physical body, when, when I die in this physical body, I will wake alive. I will wake alive and be satisfied with your likeness. Wow. That's a hope. In Psalm 49, 15, that God will redeem my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. God will keep his promise to be the God of his people forever. That's the point here. He is faithful to his word, and he's faithful to bring those who belong to him to live with him forever. He will. Now, how do you think these guys respond to this? It says, some of the scribes in verse 39 answered and said, Teacher, you have spoken well. Well done. For they did not have courage to question him any longer about anything. You know, some people hear things like this, and they're like, hey, listen, that's, that's a great teaching. That's, those are great thoughts and great wisdom. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much for being a good teacher. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, my son and I were on a trip this past week, and um, 
last Sunday night, we met some people that um, we, didn't, we didn't know we were going to meet, and I'll tell the story at a later time, but we didn't know we were going to meet them, and, uh, but we, we met them, we got to know them very well, and uh, by the uh, next morning, uh, we met them on Sunday night, the next morning, Monday morning, uh, got up and I started talking to uh, this gentleman, he named, his name is Byron, and Byron has, has quickly become one of my top five people in the world. Um, but Byron um, and his wife Deb were some of the most loving and hospitable people um, that my son and I had met and probably will ever meet. And I was talking to Byron on Monday morning as we were uh, standing by his uh, wood, yeah, it was, a, it was a wood stove furnace, which was pretty cool. And we were talking. And I just said, hey, hey, Byron, because we had talked the night before just about what I did and, and uh, different things. And he was familiar with uh, Young Life. Uh, this was in Colorado. And so he was familiar with Young Life because they have a lot of uh, property there. And so we're talking about Young Life. And so the name of Christ, the name of Jesus came up a lot. And uh, so we've been talking about that. So the next morning, I, I just asked Byron, I said, hey, listen, what? So where's your faith? What, what do you believe in? What? What? What is your faith in? And he said, you know, he said, I, I used to be into religion when I was young. And he said, but now I'm just kind of this, this free thinker. And that's kind of where we decided to just land, is to be free thinkers, right? And so I, I was thinking about Byron as I was, I was looking at this text and specifically the response of, of these people. And, I mean, a lot of people today, that's kind of where they're at. All right? Think what you want. Think what you want about the resurrection. Think what you want about life. And think about you know, what you want when it comes to salvation or life after that. And think about what you want. And if those are some good things. Yeah, hey, I, I like those thoughts. Right? And we can be free thinkers and, and, and we can think that people have good thoughts. Right? But as, as believers, and, and I heard that, my heart just kind of broke in that moment, right? Um, and we talked a little bit more, but, but nothing substantial after that much, and, and just kind of, you know, small talk. But, but my heart has really gone up for Byron, the point of praying for him and his, his wife dead, that, that God would save them, that God would raise them up to life and to have the mind of Christ. These guys right here were just like, okay, that's, those are good thoughts, teacher. Well well done. And then but Jesus silenced them to really also, they had nothing else that they could say. And that's what Jesus kind of does, right? He was, these people wanted to eliminate him, but what does Jesus do? With his divine and profound wisdom, Jesus, Jesus silences Silences them. Where they talk no more. And so here's what I want to do just in our remaining time. Because I want to just give you some, some just quick hits on the resurrection. And why is this significant? Why is this significant to, to us? What, what does this mean to us? How, why would we be like people who say, I want to know, or, or not people, like Paul, who said, I want to know the power <coughs> of the resurrection. Why would we want to be people like that? Well, because... I, we need to know what the resurrection means to us. It, it is very personal. It is big. But why? 
So, so here's a few thoughts. Let me just give you a few. First of all, okay, um, Jesus raises again, right? We know that. It's one of our basic beliefs. It's what our belief uh, is built upon. It's a foundation that Jesus raised on the third day. In a few uh, hours, literally, Jesus is going to go and die. And we're going to find out in the weeks to come. Um, and we believe that, that Jesus died, but we believe in the third day that he was raised to life. And so the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, that Jesus is the first fruits of those who are asleep. And so he is the leader when it comes to resurrection. He led the way, and he is the one who has conquered death so that you and I can experience resurrection. Okay? So Jesus raised again. That's the first thing we need to understand. The, the foundation of all of this is that Jesus rose from the grave. The second thing is that we need to experience for our own self spiritual resurrection. As the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the work of God to make us who are spiritually dead. And the Bible says all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. Because of that, the wages of sin, Romans 6.23, is death. Okay? But there's good news. The free gift of God is eternal life. So how do those who are spiritually dead be made alive? Okay? They believe, they trust okay, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They, they believe in his death and resurrection. Again, that's by God's grace. It's by God's mercy. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5 says, God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Jesus Christ. By grace you have been saved, he said, and he did this. Listen to this. He raised us up with him. So what does that mean? It means now, presently, we experience spiritual resurrection. Being born again. When we trust and believe in Jesus Christ. We are literally raised up. And the Bible says, Ephesians 2 says right here, that we're seated with him in heavenly places. So what that means, we have a relationship with him right now. Even though we don't see him, we have a relationship with him right now. That is by faith, by the grace of God. And then the third thing is not only spiritual resurrection, but we look forward to some things, a lot of things. And one of the things we look forward to, number three, is what's called glorification. Okay? It's, a, it's a big word. But what that simply means is that when a believer dies, their soul is separated from their physical body, and immediately it goes to be with Jesus Christ in heaven. Paul believed this. He said in 2 Corinthians 5.8, to be absent from the body, the physical body, is to be present with the Lord for those who believe in him. Okay? And so we're going to experience that. The fourth thing is, is the resurrection of a believer's body, physical body. And here's this truth. At the second coming of Jesus Christ, the body of all believers who have died will be resurrected and reunited with their souls. You might be seeing, thinking, Kind of freaky, right? I'm thinking, no, this sounds cool, right? I mean, this is cool. And immediately after this, the believers who are still alive at Jesus Christ's return will have their bodies transformed, right? Some of you might be thinking, yes, I, I've tried Advocate. I've not personally, I've tried Advocate. I have, right? I've tried all these things. And, and you're saying, there is something in the future that is going to work? Yeah, it will. It will. And it's going to be better than 
Weight Watchers is going to rock your world. <laughs> That's funny. Like, it's just kind of fun. But, and what's going to happen is those who are physically alive in Jesus Christ and those who have gone on and their souls are with Christ, when, when all this reuniting takes place and we're given these new bodies, uh, we are going to meet Christ in the sky. All right? So this is going to be really cool, man. Can you imagine this? You're going to see John Campbell, uh, and you're going to see Isaac. Not just Isaac Cutchins, but Isaac of the Old Testament <laughs> hanging out together. <laughs> and you're going to see the likes of like a Brad Horan and Moses, right? That's going to be pretty cool altogether. That's how real this is going to get, guys. It's really cool. Where do we get this at? 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17 says, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15, 52, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, when Christ returns... For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable and will be changed. You know what that means? These bodies that have an expiration mark on them, right? Did you know that? They do. They will one day become imperishable. Never to die again. Amazing. Glorious scene. So that will take place when Jesus returns. The fifth thing. What will our bodies be like? Like, hey, dude, is I'm mean, I mean, chiseled like I always wanted to be chiseled? No, I, I don't think at all that's what this means. But we'll be given new bodies. And so Christ's resurrection body is, is I think, the pattern of our resurrection body. And so here's what, what Paul said about it. Philippians 3, 20 through 21, Paul says, Our citizenship is in heaven. And that's now, by the way. That's a present tense idea. And he says, from which also we eagerly wait for Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state, which we're in now, into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. So that's pretty amazing to think. God is going to change us and even give us new bodies fit for new heavens and new earth. 1 Corinthians 15, 49 says, Just as we have been born the image of the earthly, which we are now, we will also bear the image of the heaven. So when you think about this, Christ still has his body. He didn't stop being human when he ascended into heaven. He will remain human and in his body forever. And so Christ is glorified. We are not yet. Okay? As we are in our humble state. But when Christ returns, we will be glorified, being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Okay? In our bodies too. Then will be physical just like this. And in his likeness. And so we see this as Jesus ate with his disciples after his resurrection. They touched him, right? They, they talked with him. And Paul even says in Romans 8, 23, that we're eagerly waiting for the redemption of our body, our physical bodies as well. So we look forward to that. We don't talk about these things a lot, but we look forward to that because that's our destiny. And then the sixth thing is this, is at this time of the resurrection of our bodies, something really cool is going to happen, right? Death 
will be totally defeated. Can you imagine that? Death will totally be defeated. You will never even hear it mentioned again. Death will be defeated once and for all. Can you imagine that? Where we live in a state now where, I mean, death is just always in front of us. It's a reality. But 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 55, Paul says, When this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? What a day that would be. Wow. That's our destiny. That's why the resurrection is so important. Seven. At the time of the resurrection, there will be renewed <coughs> universe. And so we will have bodies fit for new heavens and new earth. Revelation 21.1 and also Romans 8.21 says we will be set free from slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Not just us, but this world. New heavens and new earth. That's our destiny. And then lastly, and this is the humbling part in the Sabbath. But it also gives us a sense, I hope, of urgency and mission as well. The eighth thing and last thing is this. The bodies of unbelievers will also be raised as well. In Acts 24, 15, Paul said, There shall certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. John 5, 28-29, Jesus said, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. And will come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life. Okay, The good deed talked about there is, is faith in Jesus Christ, believing in Christ. Um, those, though, who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. The evil deed in my name. Okay? There's a lot of different things, but the, the one idea that sums it up is those who did not believe. Those who were unbelieving. Jesus says that unbelievers will suffer punishment in their bodies in hell. That's why he said this in Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. But rather fear him, talking about himself, talking about God, who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And so that's the resurrection is so important. That's why we need to understand what this idea of resurrection, what does it mean for us? What does it mean for all people? Because we don't think about that. We, we think about just everything going on here in our present day, in our calendars. But in the midst of it all, there is something grander. There is something eternal going on. And we need to understand the power of God and the scriptures that speaks this great truth that he is a God not of the dead, but of so today, there's a couple things. We just close and wrap it up here. I want you to hear. Right? Jesus does something here I want us to notice. He has a commitment to the scriptures. Because he uses them against the Sadducees. He leaned on them to talk about the truth of God. So I want you to know, church today, that the scriptures have life. And I want to encourage you to lean on them every day. Because they are life-giving, and we need them. They're our wisdom. 
The second thing I want you to see here is I want you to see that Jesus affirms the resurrection. He affirms the power of God. He never doubted for one moment about the resurrection and what was to come. That should give you an eye. Everlasting hope. Everlasting hope. And believe that the promises that He has for us, that He will never leave us or forsake us as His children, that He will hold us in His hands forever, that we will believe that hold on to that forever. And lastly, to remember that there are people like the Byron, like the dead, who could do a lot of loving, good deeds on the outside. But on the inside are dead. And who need the message of life? That Jesus came and died for them. And he came and he rose from the dead to conquer death for them. So that they could have life. But free thinking and, and just leaving everything up to a whim, a chance, or whatever. Right? In the end, we'll end in doom. We'll end in destruction. And so you and I have the message. We have hope. And it's the gospel. And so may we be faithful to share about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The world is perishing. Perish forever. They don't turn.